hello and welcome everybody to The Queer Experience. My name is Eric Carmine, I use he, they pronouns, and I am your podcast host as always. And today for our, our interview, we are joined by extra special guest, Hannah Schaefer, um, from Turtle Bun, uh, is it Game Game Company, Game Design? Game, uh, game Company, Game Design, yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> game co-op whatever you want to call it turtle turtle bun awesome um and hannah if you want to take a second just to introduce yourself tell us your pronouns and and maybe a little bit about your i guess background in game game world my yeah. words are escaping me today on this saturday afternoon but your background in like gaming <laughs> sure uh my name is hannah schaefer i use she or they pronouns uh, my background in gaming, I've been making tabletop RPGs since around 2014, which is kind of wild to think about. Like, I guess that makes it a long time now. But it doesn't feel like it because the last like three years feel like one-ish. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. So I was thinking that this morning while driving. I was like, oh, 2014 is a long time, but there's this really like mushy period of years in there for the past few years. So um yeah. Yeah, I my background in tabletop RPGs. I didn't grow up playing tabletop RPGs, uh, although I played a lot of games. I was like a you know really big into some of the early video games. It's like you know one of those first kids on the internet. Yep. Um, and uh, so I, I took to RPGs really easily, but I didn't play my first RPG until I was well into my twenties. Okay, do you remember? Do you remember what your first one was? Yeah, well, so I can tell you the first uh, tabletop role-playing game that I bought. I was okay. uh, working as, like, I was doing childcare work and working with a kid with special needs. And one of the things that we would do every week is go to a game store and pick up some magic cards and play some Magic the Gathering. And one week we went into the store and he saw a card that was just like this awesome, rare artifact that he had to have. And so, you know, I went to buy the card and they were like, I'm sorry, you can't put like $2 on a credit card. And I didn't have any cash at the time. So I was looking around wildly trying to find something else in the store I could buy. And there was this like bright orange book in a corner and I was like I'll take this this looks really orange uh and it was <laughs> it was a uh, shock which is a role-playing game by Joshua A.C. Newman it's like a game that tells stories kind of like the sci-fi of Ursula Le Guin um mm. so that that was my entry point I was like now I have a role-playing game uh I have to figure out how to how to play it right <laughs> right That's, which is the next challenge and I don't think I, I knew that there was like a tabletop game around Ursula uh, Ursula Le Guin's world. That's super fun. Yeah, I don't think it's it's like an official, you know, officially around her world, right. but definitely uh, inspired by that sort of like you know social social science fiction. Right, right, right. And now, and and so you go from that all the way up to present day, where you're you're part of Turtle Bun. And and making games. I know you you have uh, Questlandia, which you just I know released like an updated version of. Mm -hmm. And then you also have your kind of sequel, well not sequel, but like second step of that, which is Questlandia two. Yes, yeah. Oh, you know, you know the distinction. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, ooh, second edition Questlandia two. This is going to start to get confusing. Uh, <laughs> we're working like, on I feel like it's like a, as like a. I feel like as a D&D &D nerd, I'm like, okay, I know like D like you got D&D &D fifth edition, you got this other game that's D&D &D adjacent, like 
Yeah. My brain, my brain gets there eventually. <laughs> That's good. Maybe RPG people are like uniquely equipped to understand minute distinctions between editions. Uh, so <laughs> maybe we're yeah, in good I- company here. And I guess for for folks listening, because I know I know I know Questlandia, because as we were talking before we hit play, like a couple of years ago at a, a PAX convention, I actually got a chance to demo with you at an early, I think, an earlier iteration of of Questlandia. But do you want to talk a little about what what that game is and, and maybe where it came from? Sure. Uh, yeah. So that was Questlandia was the first game that uh, my co design partner Evan Rowland and I made back in 2014. Uh at the time, you know, we were like, the the world was coming out of a recession and I had graduated into a recession. And I think it was like, it was one of these moments that we've stayed in since then, I think, of like a lot of people asking questions about like, what's just, what's going to happen to the world? What, like, what, what will our future look like? So I think I was feeling a little bit bleak at the time. Uh, so it's, it's a kingdom building game that, you build a bizarre fantasy world together and then everybody takes on the role of people who have a goal of trying to do something in your own life while also confronting your world really rapidly changing around you. Uh, so it's not necessarily a game about like, do we save our society? Do we say fuck our society? Can I say that? Is that can I yeah, say Oh yeah, we can, we can swear. <laughs> F our society <laughs> and leave it behind. Like it's, it's not about that choice so much as like that that question that I think a lot of us are grappling with. Um, it's like, what's my responsibility to my world, which is a little bit broken, but also has the people I love in it. Um, so the the first edition, I think, was a little bit more focused on the the doom and gloom and like, yeah, this society is not worth saving. The second edition that we made uh, gives you the chance to try to contribute some good back and like save it if you want to. Yeah, which I mean, coming out with that in 2014, I almost feel like like that's a you hit at right at a moment where you know, like at the time, you're like okay, like things aren't super great, but like they're still like we're still kind of in a decent okay space, and then like 2016 like a, happened, yeah, and then 20 and then 2020 hit, and it's just kind of been like this. I've we've run I've run a couple of games for the pod where it's like we I've talked about like the the world with my my players like oh yeah so like it's kind of like you know, a little dystopia, like the world's kind of fucked, but like everyone seems kind of apathetic about it. And they're like, so 2022? Ugh, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, it it does hit, it does hit different. And we just, we, we really liked Questlandia and we thought that it was a game that we wanted to keep in print. Like we were all sold out of copies. We hadn't done a huge print run initially, but we just didn't feel like we wanted to bring it back in its, in its original form word for word because it felt a little bit too cynical um, right yeah and so then so sec- the second edition is now kind of got some some new components to it that gives some more you said some more hope or some more like you can you can you can rebuild a little bit you can yeah you know i mean it, it still definitely is focused on worlds that are kind of messed up and kind of falling apart but you do have some choices you can uh you have some choices to improve your world and and also just more time to tell like individual people's stories in the game. So. Right. Well, and, and I told you, so part of the reason I wanted to, to chat with you is because on our, our next episode, so the, the next Monday when the next one drops will be our actual play of a game that you wrote Yay. Um, <laughs> called Damn the Man, which is inspired by literally my favorite movie of all time, which is Empire Records. 
Um, I remember being at, a, at, I think it was the same PAX that we, we demoed Questlandia with you. I was walking around and I saw this thing and it was like, it was a box. It looked like a board game and I picked it up and I was yeah. like, it was a tabletop Empire Records inspired. I looked at my friend Nate and I was like, I don't know who made this game, but they have made a game that is exactly for me. <laughs> and I now must own this. Um, uh, do you have one of the boxes then? Did you I do. I do. I actually oh, have a box great. signed. I have it signed by you. Oh, that's great. We didn't make that many of those boxes. So that's, that's awesome. I actually have behind me, I have a bunch of them, but they're empty. Like we have the boxes, oh, but yep, I, I just yeah. need, I need to put components in them because I would love to make more of those. Um, yeah. Oh, so, that's great. So talk to me. So, I mean, I feel like, I mean, Empire Records is a, is a movie that I know, like, there's a a huge cult following behind it at this point. Where, like, you know, when that very special day in April rolls around, you get the, you know, happy Rex Manning Day tweets. And yeah. I, get, I literally get texts from my friends that are like, today's the day. Like, we just send gifts back and forth of, you know, Rex Manning and whatnot. But I also feel like it's a, it's a movie that, outside of, like, that pocket of people who really know it, like, everyone else is kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. What is this? What is this? So what, what is was, yeah. <laughs> and, and ironically enough, like I'd found Empire Records fell into my lap when I worked at a video records or a video rental store. And oh, like that's someone so, that's great. I guess someone was just like, you should watch this. And I was like, what is it? And I started, I was like, oh, it's Renee Zellweger, Liv Tyler, Ethan Embry. Like, who what is this cast doing? It's such a good movie. It's one of my favorite movies, also, uh, obviously. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, but so, kind of oh, niche, niche. Oh, just, you know, kind of a niche decision in terms of making a game uh, inspired by Empire Records. Cause you're right. Not everybody has seen it for sure. Yeah. But like, and like I said, but like, I, I do think once, you know, and I've made friends watch, I'm like, you're going to sit down and watch this movie and just go in with the expectation that like, it's a wild little adventure about people in a record store and the plot's almost incidental. It's more just about like the people you get to meet along the way. Um, but for you, what was it that, that, what was it about this movie that made you go, I want to make an entire game kind of shaped around elements of this? I know that there's some other inspiration from kind of adjacent movies and things as well. But I know, like, obviously, as the name Damn the Man, it is very much rooted in that. So what, ma- what made you want to do that, that process? Yeah. Uh, you know, I and mean, so Empire, or Empire Records, Damn the Man, Save the Music, is it uses... Of like a modified lighter version of Questlandia and our other game Noirlandia's system. Um, I think that something that I was noticing with was with our other games, like they were such they were big in scope, and sometimes like, I don't know how many people actually get those games to the table. I don't think they're super difficult to play, but they just, they ask a lot of players. Like they're GM-less, but they ask like a a lot of creative contribution. And I think it's kind of like an intense level of contribution that they ask for. And I think I was just re-watching Empire Records for, you know, the 400th time one day. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this, this kind of tells a similar, like there's a similar arc here where it's about the people and everybody has something that they want to do by the end of the day, like you have the person who wants to uh, confess his love to his crush. You have the person who wants to confess her love to the has-been rock star. Uh, all of these people have a goal. You have Gina who just wants to sing in a band. And I was like, oh, this is like this kind of follows the arc of Questlandia where there's all these people who want to do something while also they're 
record stores falling apart around them and being threatened uh, by, you know, this big CD conglomerate that wants to take it over. So it seemed really like, it seemed like a fun challenge to adapt that, to like take Questlandia and sort of put it in like a tiny little box and really compact its scope. And it it, it worked really well. But like when you were, when you were building, I guess, like what was your, you know, in terms of trying to engage people to play and, and giving that experience? Because I, I feel like, especially when you, again, like you're saying, like you, you narrow that scope down. I feel like for a lot of people, when you, you say tabletop RPGs, obviously the, the first place that people's brains go is the dragon game. <laughs> and then from there, kind of some some adjacent ones. But I feel like this is such a different take on some tabletop because it's very like you are a person in a record store and you are, you know, again, trying to save the place that you work and trying to accomplish a goal. But it it doesn't always have that like same level of like epic battles and fighting that I think some players kind of are used to. And so I guess when you were thinking about the game, how did you, how were you thinking about kind of trying to conceptualize some of those things of like, how do I keep people like super engaged when, you know, it, it feels like you said, like a little bit smaller in scope and a little bit more kind of almost realistic for folks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I sort of had a sense that it was going to not be a game for everybody <laughs> that you know, <laughs> already by narrowing the scope to like, I wouldn't say that most people who play have, you know, already are coming in recognizing the title as somehow related to Empire Records, but like probably most people are. So um, I I think I knew it was going to be like a little bit of a smaller thing. And uh, it definitely is the kind of thing, though, where like when it connects with people, it connects with people. So uh, it's, you know, it's bringing in people who maybe want to play games that have those more like intimate social moments as opposed to big dragon battles. I don't know. What what, <laughs> what are RPGs? What do people do in RPGs? Do they battle dragons? I guess. Some, sometimes, sometimes, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I hear. But yeah, um, I think, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that, and I, I think it's, you know, the idea of, I think just having some some characters like you have a specific goal you're working like you're working this thing that's and it's, I think there's some some levels of it that is familiar for a lot of folks because even if you didn't work at a record store I know a lot of us and maybe this is I don't know if it's a generational but like I remember again growing up in a where I worked in a, a video re- rental store you know the the smaller not blockbuster but like blockbuster adjacent version yeah. <laughs> um, so like having that experience of like you've worked in retail maybe you've worked at a small a smaller you know company or an in you know indie record shop is a is a little bit specific but kind of a we i think folks can relate to that experience even if they can't relate to the movie right like you know what i think so yeah and 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 people like if you are a person who is inclined to want to play a game that has like wacky hijinks uh that all you know happen in a day that um you know, there are definitely games like that. And and even without the touchstone of Empire Records, I think it could be a game that you enjoy if you like those wacky hijinks where, you know, everything is going to fall apart by the end of the day. So. <laughs> right. right. And maybe it'll end with a rock concert and Renee Zellweger, you know, just giving us belting out a number for us. Yeah, getting to live her dream. So, <laughs> you know, because sure. the, number, the number of times that Sugar High has played on my own <laughs> playlist. <laughs> Oh, and specifically that version from the movie it's Um, yeah it's such a good movie i hope people go out and like i hope this makes more people watch it because it's so fun yeah and 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 i guess you know in in times that you've you've played or you've run the game has there ever been a moment that like when you've 
either as a player or as a, as the GM that you've, you've been in this game and you're like, this was such a cool moment that transpired that I like, even as I was making the game and thinking of different ways you could play this out, maybe like I didn't see this particular moment coming or one of my players really surprised me when they did a certain thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the kind of obvious places is just in like, it's a game that attracts a lot of queer players because like, you know, we, we like telling these sort of feelsy stories, but we, <laughs> <laughs> when you take movies of this genre from the nineties, like they were kind of rife with bad stereotypes. And when you did have queer characters on the screen, like they were not, not the greatest portrayals. And I mean, that's one of the most obvious places is just people like making it super gay. And I'm like, oh, this is delightful. And <laughs> not explicitly how it was designed, but, you know, kind of baked, baked into the design to be able to do this. Um, so that that part is always really great is like seeing the, the games be super gay and, and also still feel like like they're rooted in this reinvented version of the 90s. So Right. Because those are things that I would have like, I would have loved a very gay version of Empire Records in in the 90s, when especially when I was coming out as a queer as a queer youth. Yeah, because it was a t like, obviously, we've talked about like it was a it was a big movie for me, but also like but having that would have been an extra layer. And yeah, and I feel like anytime you well, and maybe that's for for me when I run games, especially with all my friends. I feel like it doesn't matter what the system is. It is by the end, it is very, very gay. Everything <laughs> yeah. about it is gay. Same, have, same with our group. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's the dragon game or if it's any other smaller indie game by the end of it. Somehow everyone's everyone's gay. Even sometimes <laughs> when I've had straight people playing games with us, we ran I ran a, a game called Monster Hearts 2, um, which is also it's based on like a power by the apocalypse. And it's about like teenagers. Yeah, are, yeah, I know. I know Monster Hearts. Yeah. Yeah. And like and this like the, the idea of like all these monstrosities in a high school. And we we had. It was a group of us. And we had one straight guy playing with us, and by the end of the game, the straight guy had found himself in a relationship with a an NPC man, and like it somehow devolved into like a kink relationship too. Like there was suddenly leather and a leash involved. <laughs> and I was just like, I just love seeing like those moments in games come out where you're like, okay, like this is we've taken something that inherently. I mean, Monster Hearts Two is kind of inherently queer. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Even by like the author's definition, I think things that they put in the book, but to be able to bring other people along on that journey is always is always an adventure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the obvious ones. And then just, I mean, there's, it, it's a game that seems like it should have such a rigid structure because it, it kind of does. And it follows the format of even empire records, the movie really closely, but there's always something that surprises me in every game. And, uh, so yeah, I love I love seeing it. And for it being our game that I think is kind of the hardest to sell, I think it's our most played, if that makes sense. Like it's it's the game that I think people actually get to the table and play. Um right. so there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And 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 again, even if it's like you said before, like even if you don't have the reference play of Empire Records, if somebody right like if somebody's like, hey, you're gonna play this game, it's gonna be super fun, and I can sell it to you well enough. Because sometimes, like you said, the other like especially for newer players, some other games can be intimidating, or you know, if they're like, "Oh, I've never done a tabletop before," and it it requires that higher level of creativity, it can be a little bit overwhelming for for folks. But sometimes, like here's a here's a playbook, fill out your character, and we're gonna have you know, I got I got the story settled. 
Yep. So let's, it's let's a, jump here's, in. It's this very, it's this rigid three-act structure. There's a, like a list of scenes to pick from. It's a, there's a GM, which does make it easier and a little bit more approachable for a new player, as long as they're not the GM. I guess maybe that would be a little more intimidating, but, <laughs> but we've even had people run it as their first game GMing, so... And I and I know that you, so I know in your from Turtlebond I know that you have kind of the range of things right as you know you have some like games that require GM like like Dan the Man's Day the music I know you have your GMless games like Westlandia and I think Noirlandia is GMless as well right yeah I'm like is it I'm not the lead designer on that one but I should know but I'm we're gonna say yes yes okay well canonically for for our head canon today we'll <laughs> it's say been yes a minute since I played it yeah we'll say um, yes. And then I also know I know that you do some like solo RP, like solo solo tabletops, and I and mm-hmm. at least like one or two of like the what people call like the micro tabletops. Um, I know you have the one about birds, yeah, about kind of bird yeah. facts. <laughs> um, so f- I think for you when you're kind of looking because you kind of have this like pretty nice array of types of games. Um, are there are there ones that you find yourself kind of currently more more drawn to, kind of you know GM lists or or things with GMs or solo or such. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that like, I feel pretty excited about solo RPGs right now. And it's something that uh, I feel like a few years ago, people would have been like, what is a solo RPG? And then this year we went to PAX Unplugged this year. And it was like my, one of my first times leaving the house basically in the past few years. Uh, but seeing people come up and recognize a lot of our solo RPGs for, for what they were, even if they hadn't heard of the game before being like, oh, it's a solo role-playing game. So that certainly has increased in recognition over the past few years. I wonder why. Um, (laughs) So I, yeah, I feel really into solo RPGs right now and journaling games and just in general, like games that kind of stretch the limits of what somebody might even consider a game. Is there something, is there something kind of specific about solo games right now that has like, that has been speaking to you or like what, like what I guess has drawn you to both like creating and, and playing kind of in that realm? Yeah. I mean, I I think about some of my early experiences as a kid playing choose your own adventure books, for example, Mm -hmm. and just like loving those so much. Like I love the goosebumps, choose your own adventures and they, they hold like a really warm place in my heart. And, uh, I, I think that it's thinking about the fact that somebody could sort of sit down, play at their own time, I can be kind of a nervous player and sometimes I can worry that I'm doing something wrong or playing wrong or even just like socially not vibing with the rest of the table or like maybe my ideas aren't creative enough or what if what I said wasn't funny? Was I trying to be too funny? Like a solo RPG, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> um, so maybe that's that, that might be what's vibing with me a little bit right now. It's like, you know, the, maybe there's a wrong way to play it, but uh, if you play it wrong, nobody else is going to know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm blanking on the name, but what, what is the, what are, I guess the soul you have, a, I know you have a solo RPG out right now. And is it, is it orb? Uh, no, no, we have, um, we have two of them. So mud, a golem memoir is one of them. That's like, sort of a graphic novel solo RPG hybrid about a golem that is born and goes on a journey to discover like 
what it is and why it exists. And then we have another one called You and Astronaut, which I think is like very like, it's like a very abstract. I mean, some people might say that it is not a game, but, you know, really like really light touch choices just in terms of sort of reading through this story of an astronaut waking up from uh, like a cryostasis and deciding what to do next on their journey. Um, so those those are our two. And I really hope that in the next year we'll have another one. Nice. I know. So for the for the podcast coming up, one of the things that we're looking to do and we haven't we haven't picked a game yet is we're actually going to have maybe like four of us do the same solo tabletop RPG independently oh, and then I come back that. and for an episode, talk about all of our experience in terms of like, what did, how did your game go? How did your experience go? What choices did you make? How did yours end up? Like, what was that like? Yeah, um, that's so cause cool. Cause we were trying to think about ways of like, with, so, with a solo tabletop game, how can you like still have it have like a, almost like a little bit of a group experience? Um, so we're so I've been I've been looking and trying to to kind of hone in on a couple of those because like you said right now there's I feel like I go on itch I like I go on itch and there's just like you know bundles upon bundles of games that you get and as you sift through them like half of them are solo or like could be solo games and in, and that market right now seems like it's a big a big moment for folks yeah. Uh, Oh, that's, I'm really excited to see what you end up picking because there's so many options and uh, that I just think that's a really cool idea because everybody can have such a different experience. Yeah. And and for you are there, so with the, the two solo games that you, you have out right now, is there, I guess she said mud is the, is the Gollum journal or the, the Gollum diary. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, very light. It's, it's barely even a, it, it asks, it doesn't ask much of you besides just sort of like sitting, sitting with it and reading it and experiencing it. Nice. And then, um, you said you have, do you have ones on the horizon that, that you're kind of thinking about, or is it that you're kind of like, I would love to have another one out in the next year or two still kind of working on ideas yeah a little abstract i mean we we really want to release in the next year a solo version of questlandia and we Mm. have a a lot of ideas for it but also it we we have trouble with scope and scale and whenever we say that something is going to be small it ends up getting (laughs) ambitious and like taking years longer than we said it would so we're like aware of our limitations in terms of like living in reality <laughs> we're, we're limited in being able to live in this reality and make good choices right i feel like i feel like especially for like folks that do any kind of content creation whether it's like game design or anything like you always end up like you kind of look as if like oh i can i could do all of this and then you like put it all down <laughs> and you're like oh wait that's that's a bit more than at this moment is is feasible or it's going to take me longer to put put stuff together um yeah like it's just the thing about people who who do design work where it's like oh no, like I've got this very simple idea and then suddenly it's this massive thing. But the massive thing is cool. Um, it just takes a little bit more more time. Yep. Yeah, I, I still have sitting on my computer some files from 2010 when I like woke up from a dream and I was like, I have an idea for a video game I can make in 24 hours. And um, <laughs> I was like, I really believed so strongly. And I, I sat down and in Flash, which can, you know, it's... A, I don't think you can even make a game in Flash anymore. I like drew this really cool alleyway and there's a person in the alleyway and I managed to make the person's eyes like look back and forth shiftily. And then that's where, that's, that's what I've had since 2010. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly things take longer than I think they will. 
and I, I know and I know I've referenced a couple of times we've we've kind of mentioned Turtle Bun, but I suppose I should I should make sure folks know. So can, can you tell me a little bit more about about Turtle Bun and about kind of your 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 co- your co-op and kind of what that all looks like? Yeah. So our uh Turtle Bun is we Evan and I who are our like co-designer, we make all of our games together. Pre the pandemic, our company was called Make Big Things, and we worked with one other collaborator. His name was Brian, um, who's great. And just during the pandemic, we kind of all had a moment to reconsider like what kind of games we wanted to make and where we wanted to go from here and decided to branch off uh, to- totally amicably. <laughs> so uh, Evan and I reorganized as Turtle Bun. It's, it sort of feels like a little bit weird calling us a co-op when it's just the two of us, but you know, there's, I guess you can still call it a co-op. There's no hierarchy there. Um, <laughs> we both work for e- each other and turtle bun. Uh, yeah. So, so we're just, we have our game design duo and uh, we've worked together for a long time. We've been friends for a long time and um, yeah, I'm trying to think I'm <laughs> like, is there anything that's um that's that's why I think that's the the main thing to know about it is this restructuring from make big things because a lot of our books our old books still say make big things which you know it's a little confusing. Yeah, which I know, I know that the that company they they do I know um, some of the games they put out have been super fun as well. I've seen the like I have the the worker strikes one. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah. So, I should totally give credit to Brian's company because Brian, <laughs> Brian is a part. Thank you, <laughs> Brian is a part of Tessa, the toolbox for education and social action, and they make a bunch of board games uh, like Strike and the, like Coopoly. Um, they have a game they made about making community gardens. They're awesome. Then they're they're like a really structured co-op that also helps to they they work with co-ops. They're just wonderful. Awesome. And, and I guess like, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm posing a fun, like hypothetical question to folks and maybe, maybe you've already done this with, with Dan, the man, save the music, but thinking about your future projects, if you had all the time, money, resources, energy to put some, you know, to make a game and could play in a franchise of some sort, what fran, I always love asking this, like what franchise would, would you love to like dabble in and, and be creative with it? Yeah. Uh I would have to say Star Trek. I'm I'm like a huge Star Trek fan and okay. um grew up watching Next Generation and then became really obsessed with Deep Space 9 in the past few years. Um I don't have like a strong desire to play in an existing Star Trek game and I okay. I don't necessarily feel like I could do Star Trek better. I'm not like, oh yeah, just let me get my hands on Star Trek. I'm going to fix Star <laughs> Trek games. Um, I don't know how I would do a Star Trek game, but that seems like a really like an, a, an awesome dream to like at least make a hack or a setting that's in you know like an original Star Trek game because I just love the world so much. I feel like that's a really. I feel like you could do you could do a lot within that, right? Like because I've because the, the the Powered by the Apocalypse system is probably one of my favorites. To like it's an easy one to like when you're playing something like pick the game up because it's like, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, two D six, here's your playbook, you know, seven to nine success, but consequences, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I could easily like, that's a, that's a world where like, I could see you doing like, you know, your off off ship mission and you do it with a power by the apocalypse. And you've got like, you're an ensign, you're the engineer, you're whatever. And having some fun little, like just narrative moments. Cause I feel like, 
I feel like Star Trek was always, I know it had some action-ish bits to it, but it was always, I think, more focused on, like, the story and the people. Yeah, uh, and, like, the sense of discovery. Yeah, I think, I always feel like there's just fun ways that, you know, I always love hearing what people would do. I had somebody one time that I asked that question, and they were like, I would do something with Saw. And I was like, I've never Ooh, thought about doing yeah. a tabletop within <laughs> Saw. But then you're like, but that makes sense, because you got, you know, puzzles and stakes are very high all the time that's so interesting oh yeah i love that uh playing more horror rpgs just in general is something that i would love to do because i feel like it's um horror movies really freak me out in a good way but like they they super scare me and i'm like oh am i gonna get like just as scared playing a scary (laughs) tabletop game so i will totally play that saw universe game for sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was it was a guest of ours that came on a couple episodes ago to talk about tabletop gaming. Uh, Danny, uh, who is very, he's like, and it came out of nowhere. We were all like, wait, what? <laughs> Saw? Like, oh, that no, was, that's And then like awesome. you just sit back, you're like, you're like no, that's perfect. Yeah, actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh, yeah, what a good example. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, you know, I, I, I don't know if you have anything that you want to talk about, but is there anything else kind of on the horizon for, for Turtle Bond that, that kind of has been piquing your interest or something you've been working on with, with folks? Yeah. I mean, this, this might kind of sound like a weird thing to say because it's, it's not a game, but one thing that we're doing over the next year is kind of intentionally not making any new games. Like, um, we have all of these extra copies of all of these games that we've made over the years. And one thing we've been really stuck in the Kickstarter cycle over mm. since 2014, basically of like, we make a game on Kickstarter and fund it and print some extra copies and then move on to the next game without really like a lot of good resources that we know of to find like a wider audience for our games. And it's, I, I think it's something that people in, in tabletop RPGs ask themselves a lot is like, how do we get new people? Where do you find people? Like it's this little, it's this little niche thing. Um, Oh, so our, our goal for the next year is just going to be to like get a little more creative with who we reach out to and like, see if there's some random bookstore in the Midwest that will stock our weird tabletop role-playing game. (laughs) Oh, like we're just gonna like shoot our shot and take some risks in in reaching out to people and uh because I was just I would just love more people to be playing role playing games in general and for a lot of people that means like having to walk by and see it on a bookshelf because you just don't even know what tabletop role playing games are because you're not already plugged into it on Twitter, right? Or it requires you being at a at a game store that won't let you pay credit card for a $2 purchase (laughs) and then just happen to see a book on the shelf. Yeah. Then you're just strong armed into becoming a gamer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. I think that's how it happens for everybody. We just like one person is like, you're going to become a gamer now. And then they twist your arm a little bit. You're like, all right. right. I guess I'm going to play in this cool make-believe world with my friends. Sucks. (laughs) Yep. You start start your first adventure and then five years, five, 10 years later, you're like, oh, now I'm DMing everything I have you know, started a game company. I've started a podcast. <laughs> now I have an actual play podcast. How did this even yeah. happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, and do you, and if I remember correctly, you also run a podcast. Is that correct? Yeah. Evan and I have a podcast together. It's called Design Doc. Uh, it started as a podcast to track the 
redesign of Questlandia. And I, I think in the beginning of the podcast, we were like, we think this will run for a year. And that was like four years ago or something, five years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> so there's clearly a theme here. Uh, we talk about game design, but also just the like broader experience of being people making things in like trying to make money and make a living making things in a creative field and, um, you know, not give up all of our values along the way, which right. is which, hard. <laughs> yeah, which can feel tough when you're, you know, in an environment where you, you know, want, you want to get product out, you want to be able to like, you know, have the resources to do that, but also in a capitalist society where you're like, I hate that we live in a capitalist society where all these things, like, I need money to do all the things I want to do and the exploitations that come from capitalism and, and all of those, all those fun things that happen in the, in the world, but then also trying to be part of that and be like, okay, how can I make something where at minimum I can like sustain myself? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, it's so hard. You said, and you said it's been going on for your, your pot is on for year four now. Something like that. Well, let's see. It started in 2017. How long is that? Six years. No, stop. Get out of here. That's not. <laughs> <It> is... <laughs> no, it's not. But, Get out. Like we said, the 2020 to 2023 is basically no. a year. So. <laughs> 2017. 20... Oh, yeah, because it's 2023 now. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a minute. So, yeah, I mean, we've <laughs> you know, definitely broadened our scope in terms of we don't just talk about remaking Questlandia. It's just about making things and all the the hard parts and the fun parts that that comes with. Yes. And I think, I mean, one thing that I feel like being on, on a, a podcast called The Queer Experience and both of us being queer gamers, one, one thing I guess I'm maybe curious about when you're thinking about game design is knowing that you probably bring that lens to the game. Are there ways that you have in your game design or maybe maybe even as, as a GM um, running things, I guess, what are what are the ways you try and make sure that your games feel kind of welcoming and inclusive to folks who might pick it up who don't know you as a game designer or the company, but just might maybe they, they see it on the shelf and like, ah, Questlandia. Um, I, I don't know if there, and maybe there's, you know, I don't put you on the spot of like, what's your, what's your level of intentionality with your queer gaming? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think maybe sort of like, how do you, how do you try and keep some of those things in mind as you're doing game design? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can think about just the differences from Questlandia, the original game and the second edition that we made, because like my my own journey and like relationship to my own identity has like evolved since we, we first started making games um, in this in this version. I mean, some of it is just like even in like the actual play examples that run through this second version of the book, like there's a lot of, there's players who use they, them pronouns and characters who use they, them pronouns because like, that's just like, so that models my life and the people that I play games with and to write that in felt like it, I, even to call it natural is wrong. Like it's just, it is like my experience of being in the world and playing games and my, my friends and the types of characters we play and just like the lives that we inhabit. So that's, that would be both a change from the first edition and also something where um, like, I guess there's still this risk that it may catch somebody off guard or somebody might be like, 
I guess fewer and fewer people maybe take issue with the singular they, but like those they those people are still out there. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, mean not. I say, and, and like, and I feel like in the indie tabletop world, there's also I think as you like narrow in, right? Like people, I and obviously not true for everybody, but there's like a a more I have found more inclusivity like the further into like indie games that you get and like the designers that at least that I've come across and maybe again that might be the way in which I navigate social media and the world um but yeah I would hope that like if somebody I mean and if someone picks up your game and sees they and sees they then pronouns somewhere and then it's like ugh they're probably not like the target demographic you were going well, yeah, for. Yeah, that's to begin I with. I don't feel like I have to capture that person in in the net, you know? Like I'm not there's there's nothing we're not trying to like surprise anybody or or be like yeah we're gonna get you in with this game and the secretly gay surprise like there's no secrets here <laughs> there's just no secrets right. it's 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 right there um so yeah i mean i'm sure that there's ways that i'm like not even thinking about but you know mud like the game the solo rpg that we wrote is it's like you know pretty symbolically but explicitly about just like also the experience of like being a person who's like where you are in this body and you don't know what it means and you don't know what you are and like you the world wants it to look one way or function one way and you want to change it so maybe that will be like shocking symbolism or allegory but (laughs) um, it's all kind of right there right and again and i think then there's always those things where it's like it's it's there and apparent probably to people who understand that, that experience. And there's probably people that pick it up and read it like, Oh, it's a, like, I've seen other people like they see the metaphor and they're like, yeah, no, but like, it was just about like a golem trying to like be a golem. And you're like, no, but like, do you get the layers? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah. You know, you're totally right. And one of the first ever, um, like I had tried years ago at a convention, I think when I was like, right at the like the peak of like some of my own identity stuff i had written this setting for noirlandia that i thought was like the gayest thing i had ever come up with and i was like <laughs> this is like this is the gayest of the gay gay and i i brought it to a convention and pray, played with a a table just like a convention table of what just happened to be like straight cis men and it was the least gay of the gay gay. Like it was somehow they managed to make it like the just flattest, straightest thing I've ever encountered. So I think you're you're right that sometimes um, being explicit kind of matters because subtext, like some people will just throw out subtext if it's there, if they're not inclined to already see it. Yeah, but it's but it, but I think it's the I'm sure the fun thing for you is when when it finds that audience. Like I'm sure if you ran that and had a pay, a table full of queer folks, that it would have been the gayest thing that you have ever <laughs> experienced. And it's yeah, and I feel like there's gonna be like a level of fun of like when you when you find those moments of like someone play, you know whether it's like some people doing like an actual play of like Westlandia or something, and then finding out like oh it was it was hella gay. Like it was, <laughs> it was very gay on un- you know, intentionally, unintentionally or otherwise. Like you were saying earlier with, with Dan, the man, say the music where, you know, when you just bring people to that table, that, that influence kind of shifts the, the genre or the, or the themes of it just by the nature of like what people bring to the table in terms of their own identity. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I hope that even just by making games that ask you to put down pronouns on your character sheet or something, you you are already sort of self-selecting a little bit. So right. um, for, you know, for your people or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice. So I, I want to, I want to be respectful of time because I know as I'm, I'm, I'm taking up your, your Saturday afternoon. <laughs> um, so I guess like before, before we, we kind of wrap, is there, is there anything else that you would like people to know about you or Turtle Bun or games that you've you've worked on i guess one thing is you know in this next year where we're moving to kind of rather than like making new things and making new things we're moving to trying to get the things that we have made into actual people's hands um like literally if people just have a friendly local game store that they love or a bookstore that you go to that like you've loved and have gone to for years I would love to know about them so just like on a practical level like I would I would love to know places that may be good homes for the things that we've made and and, and on that note uh how Hannah how can people find you on the internet if they would like to find you and turtle bun um I guess well this is your chance to plug your socials so that when people can sure. let you know about these where these bookstores and other places might be yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's always so many places to like find there, there's, there's many roads to access uh, us online, but uh, so our, our website is turtlebun.com. And if you wanted to like tweet me on Twitter, although I'm like, they're slightly less, but slightly less is still probably like, you know, many times a week because um, <laughs> it's hard to quit. Uh, I am hand bandit on Twitter and that's like, you know, a good place if there's you're like, oh, I have this amazing bookstore and they seem like they'd be open to indie games or like I'm part of a game store that runs a really cool inclusive game night. I would love to know about stuff like that. Um then our our podcast is Design Doc again and we're on Turtle Turtle Bun itself is also on, you know, all the the socials as Turtle and Bun. So and I'll make sure we put in the show notes kind of the, a couple links to, you know, social media or if, I don't know if you have a, if you have a link tree or any of those things we can throw. We should. That would be a really good thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> there's um, like a really long to-do list of things that would be really good and important to do. And so it gets shorter over time, but. Yeah, but we'll definitely make sure folks are, are able to find you um, and people should, everybody listening hopefully is, you know, I know you can, you can go to Turtle Bun. I know some of your your things are on if people are on itch uh itch.io. Yep, yeah. I know I've seen games on there. Um I cannot express enough how much fun Hannah's games are and people should absolutely be finding ways to purchase and play these if you are a, a tabletop gamer and even if you haven't played a tabletop before and you're just listening because you're a friend of mine who listens to my podcast because you're just <laughs> wonderful and supportive so nice go take that support and throw money at somebody else like hannah and check out some of their games <laughs> thank you uh, thanks so yeah. much awesome well that is it for us um once again everybody my name is eric uh you can find our podcast on twitter and instagram and facebook at the queer xp um and then our podcast if you're listening to it it's available on whatever service you've got it on and then all of the other ones that people may be looking for so spotify apple music etc 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 um and again super excited for next week for you all to hear the actual play of damn the man save the music i am beyond pumped we're we're recording this before recording the actual actual play 
Um, and so I'm excited to run this game. I've been excited to run this game for many years now. Yay. Um, and finally getting the chance. So once again, but thank, thank you, Hannah, again, for, for joining me today. I really, really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. It was really fun to talk about games and I'm so excited for you to play Dan the Man. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, as always, this is The Queer Experience. Everyone have a good rest of your week. Bye.